0: Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're talking about baggage. The title of the message explains everything I want to do with the message as we deal with a... Modern vernacular that everybody understands. If someone says to you, you know, I've noticed you really have a lot of baggage. You know exactly what they mean. You don't turn around and say, thank you very much. I'm glad you discerned all my baggage. Boy, what a compliment. You know how much excess baggage I have in my life? That's a wonderful thing. You noticed all my baggage. That's not really our response. Usually it's, uh, it's a comment that would maybe take you back if somebody said, you know what? You have a lot of baggage in your life. And you need to deal with it. You might know about the baggage. You might not want to face the baggage. But you understand what the term means. Things in your life that shouldn't be there. Things in your life that should be unpacked and removed. We define baggage simply from a Webster's definition. It's very simple. A suitcase, a trunk. I like the one phrase here. Personal belongings. That's what we're talking about. The personal belongings. The things you put into the bag, your luggage. Now, this is a metaphor. This is symbolism. This is taken a word that describes maybe our lives. What baggage do you have that you've allowed to be packed into your life that should not be there? Webster's defines the symbolism of this word as things, objects, circumstances, or beliefs that get in your way. Now, the beliefs is not a doctrinal statement there. The beliefs could be that which the enemy brings upon your mind to make you think about yourself, about your future, about your problems. You can never get help, never get delivered. A belief about your own future right now. The enemy will come in to always lie. And so there are beliefs that we begin to form, and some are formed for us by other people saying negative things or wrong things or a wrong worldview or a wrong life view, and they try to put that on us, and we start believing it. So we have no faith that our life will change. We have no faith that we can break the addictions in the family tree. We have no faith that we can keep our marriage when everybody in our family tree has gone through one or two divorces, or they never did get married, and they've lived in uh, maybe common Law marriage and immorality is what we would call it. And so you look at your life and the enemy might say your marriage won't work. Your job won't work. This won't work. You can't break that addiction. You'll always be a little funny here, a little funny there. You have a personality problem. You have a character flaw. It might be a thousand things that the enemy would get you to believe about your life. My desire is simply to reach in and get your attention. That you might say with me. You know, there is some baggage. There's some things in my life that I should have removed a long time ago, but I didn't have faith for it, or I simply have ignored it for a long time. We talked about four people, kinds of people, last message. I want to refer to them again this morning, and that's in the uh, illustration I have right here in the four different bags. The first person we call the handbag person, the handbag person It's a person who has baggage, but it's not serious enough to go for counsel or to stop and really concentrate on it. The baggage that they have can fit into a handbag. It's not huge amounts of stuff. They're just a nuisance. And the worst thing is, it's manageable. It's baggage that's manageable. Hey, I can handle my anger. I can handle this. I can handle that. It's not really destroying my life yet. I don't have to really deal with this. I know I have a little flaw here, but hey, it's not a big deal. It's baggage. That's a nuisance. It's manageable. So you say to yourself, I won't deal with it. Now, I want you to, again, remember what I said in the last message. I want to repeat it again this morning. The Holy Spirit will never, ever come to you and say, it's manageable. Keep it. It's only a nuisance. Don't bother with it. The Holy Spirit will never deal with sin in your life like that. The Holy Spirit will never come and just say, go ahead and bury it. Go ahead and manage your sin. Manage your flaws. Manage your problems. Manage your baggage. It's just a nuisance. It's not a big deal. Just go ahead and live with it. That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's the voice of the person who'd like to destroy your soul and get you to keep your few little nuisances and manage those few little things you have in your life. But if you don't, get rid of them, they will grow. Then we talked about the second kind of a person is the duffel bag person. And this is the carry on bag, a little bigger than the handbag person because they have a little bit more to pack. But this person has uh, the baggage in their life that surfaces at certain events, special occasions, certain times in their life. It could be a birthday, a Christmas, a Thanksgiving, a vacation house, a place you used to work, a place you used to get gas at, wherever it might be. It's just certain times or certain places. It could be you sitting in a wedding and you have the emotion like everybody else does about the wedding. But your emotion is totally different because maybe you have a failed relationship or you have a broken heart in a relationship. Or maybe you have a bitterness toward a person who related to you. And as the wedding goes on, your tears are flowing, but they're not because you're rejoicing with the wedding. You have some bad Baggage that surfaces at certain times of the year, certain times of life. And every time they surface, you cry, you deal with it. Maybe you talk to yourself about it. Maybe you go through the motions of it, but you don't really deal with the baggage. Say, well, I don't have to deal with Thanksgiving for another year, so I'll forget about it right now. Christmas is a long time off. My birthday, I know how I will feel, but I'm just going to put it off. God wants you to deal with the baggage. Then there's a suitcase person. suitcase person is a person who finds ways to escape taking their baggage with them, but it always comes home. They change jobs. They change marriages. They change friends. They change houses. They change all kinds of things, thinking that that will change what is internally going on with them, but it doesn't fix it. And so the baggage always comes home with them, whether they move to another state or they move to another home or they move to another relationship or they move to another business or they move to more friends or whatever it might be. The baggage they have happens to be residential in them. It's within their own soul. And so every time they try to change something thinking they'll get rid of it. They only end up facing it once again in a different place, and a different time, to be discouraged. That, well, I thought I would fix it like that if I would go there or do this, but it's not fixed because it's something you have to face inside yourself. Then you have the trunk person. The trunk person is a very special person because this person has saved all their unresolved issues over a long period of time. They have packed them away neatly. They have kept their unresolved issues from childhood, from youth, from early on. And they have packed them into their trunk and they hide the trunk in the attic. But every once in a while. They go find that trunk. They unlock it, pop it open. They finger through all the memories and all the things, all the stuff that has happened, all the people involved. Then they close the trunk, lock it up again and go their way. Now. Which kind of person are you? Are you a handbag, duffel bag, suitcase, trunk? We could go a couple levels up. There's also a U-Haul person. (laughs) Now, the U-Haul person is not someone you want to identify with. Because the U-Haul person not only collects all of their unresolved issues, the U-Haul person collects other people's unresolved issues. And sometimes other people's unresolved issues and excess baggage in their life is harder to carry than your own. And so you end up packing not only your stuff. But you run out of room, the trunk's not big enough, and then you start packing your daughter's stuff and then your son's stuff and then your son-in-law and your mother-in-law and your uncle and your boss and your best friend next door neighbor and this girl in high school. And before you know it, you're packing everybody's stuff, hooking it up to your life car and driving around life with a U-Haul. People say, why why do you have the U-Haul? Because I'm a burden bearer. I bear everybody's burdens. You actually have a little bit of a martyr's complex about this U-Haul. You actually like to tell people, I carry everybody's stuff. I am God donkey. I'm the mule of the kingdom. I know how to carry people's stuff. You should learn how to carry it too. If you had more compassion for people, you would bear their burden. Do not mix it up. There is a big difference between burden bearing and carrying people's excess baggage they will not deal with. If you carry excess baggage of someone else's life that they will not deal with, you do not have the grace to pull the U-Haul. How many of you with me would say, I can't identify with at least one of those pieces of luggage? Let me see your hands. Okay. now here's the question. Are you ready? Who packed your bag? Now, you can ask your neighbor that one. That's a safe one. Just turn to him and say, who packed your bag? Now, don't tell them. Don't tell them who packed your bag. Who packed your bag? Three generalities. We could give you 30 probably, but these three might cover most of everything. All right. Three generalities on who packed your bag. Before I do that, let me let me give you a key scripture. I'm going to come back to. I'll put it up on the screen right now. Luke chapter four, verses eighteen and nineteen. All right. I'm going to. I want you to read this scripture with me because it's a key scripture where I'm going in this series. Everybody, out loud. I'm going to read it in two translations. You're going to read it out loud with me. Are you ready? Here you go, everybody. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Stop right there. To heal the who? Well, I thought that was a 21st century thing. Keep going. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now I'm going to give you a little preview. Of what's coming. On how this scripture is going to really play into my series. And I'm going to give you a couple of hints right here. Luke 4 verse 18. Is Jesus in a synagogue. Right after he went into the wilderness. Tempted of the devil. Came back from Galilee. in the power of the spirit it says. And this is when he comes to a place. And this is what it says in verse 14. And I want you just to remember this. Where this Famous scripture takes place is so interesting to me in Nazareth, Nazareth in Luke 4, 14. It says, and he went to Nazareth. Now, remember, he wasn't born in Nazareth, but he was brought up in Nazareth. Nazareth was the place where he had the hardest time to work his miracle power. That's where this scripture, famous scripture, comes in the hardest place and the place where most of the people rejected every word he spoke. Every one of them. Now, we will deal with what I call the hometown Nazareth attitude that limits the work of God in your life, but we won't deal with it right now. All right, now. Jesus, next translation, is saying something to us that's very important here. Here's another translation. I like Eugene Peterson's Message Bible because it's the message, new vernacular, kind of modern English. It makes it so easy to understand. Let's read this out loud. God's Spirit is on me. He's chosen me to preach the message of the good news to the poor. Sent me to announce pardon to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the burden and battered free, to announce... This is God's year to act. Now, this scripture is packed with some great stuff that I, I'm going to love to preach on. He brings the word down to their life to say, did, did you uh, did you know, did you know that this is your year? Oh, no, not my year. Oh, yeah. Did you know this is your time? No, I mean, come on, I've lived with this stuff a long time. All right, enough of that. That's just a preview. Now, three ways that you can get your bags packed. Number one, who packed your bag? Number one, life experiences. Life experiences can pack your bag. What kind of life experiences those you don't even choose those you don't deserve and those you don't see coming. Packs your back. I'll say it again. Life experiences that you don't even know about. You don't even know they're coming. You definitely don't deserve it. Life experiences that would fall under the category of surprise, mysterious and unfair. Life experiences that pack your bag for you, but you had no control over the experience. For an example, Joseph. Joseph is 17 years of age. He's got one piece of baggage, one piece of luggage that could be packed. All he does is receive a dream from God. He doesn't ask for the dream. He doesn't have any clue the ramifications of the dream. He's a pure-hearted 17-year-old kid. He receives a dream from God where all the sheaves of the field bow to him. He goes to his parents and says, hey, I got this dream. And, wow, it's just it's pretty cool because I don't know why, but I'm in the field. All of a sudden, all the sheaves of the field bow to me. And, and uh, I really like the dream. Because the dream is saying something about me. Parents kind of, wow, that's amazing, Joseph. Then he comes back, says, I had another dream. Dad says, what do you mean? He says, I had another dream. What would you dream this time? Well, I, I dreamt that the sun, the father, the moon, the mother, and all the stars, the brothers. Remember, Joseph is number 11 of the brothers. Joseph is the firstborn of Rachel, but number 11. Joseph is the youngest. Joseph is the one who has no rights to anything. He's 11th in line every time they eat. He's 11th in line every time they get clothes. He's 11th in line for everything. He's not the firstborn. He's not going to get heritage. He's not going to get inheritance. He's not going to get anything. But the dad loves him so much, makes him a coat of many colors. And all the brothers are a little ticked off. All Joseph does is dream. Life. dream. Dreams you don't ask for, but dreams that can ruin where you're going. Because other people get jealous. The devil tries to stop it. You don't even know what's coming. But you just have this great dream. Then Joseph is on his way out to visit his brothers in the field. And they see him coming a long ways off. And their heart is revealed. And they say, here comes the dreamer. And it says they hated Joseph even more because of the second dream. So they start plotting, let's do something to him. One of the brothers said, let's, let's kill him. No, we can't do that. So they threw him in a pit. And they're discussing at the top of the pit, looking down at this 17-year-old boy. He's done nothing to deserve the life experience. He did nothing to get the dream. He did nothing to tick all the brothers off. They start plotting. Finally, Reuben, the first point, says, come on, we can't kill the kid. Please, I mean... We, we shouldn't do that. One of the brothers says, hey, there, there's a camel train coming. Looks like some Ishmaelites are on their way to Egypt. Why don't we make a little money off this deal? Let's let's sell him. And all the brothers went, yeah, yeah, let's sell him. And Joseph is dead. How can you do this? I'm your brother. Shut up, Joseph. We hate you. We don't care anything about your dreams. And they're laughing and mocking him. What about your dreams now, bucko? Just think what's going to happen to you in Egypt. Maybe all the Egyptian sheaves will bow to you. Maybe all the Egyptian stars will bow to you. You're on your way out of here. And they sold him to Egypt. Now he goes down, hand and foot, in chains, Psalms 105 says. And he goes down to Egypt. says that the fetters hurt his feet. The fetters hurt his hands. And he was in bondage. And he was a hurting young man. He did nothing to deserve that life experience. He gets down to Egypt. He joins Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife gets eyes for Joseph. She has eyes of adultery. She tries to seduce the guy. He rejects her. A righteous act. He doesn't deserve what she did. She screams out, says, hey, he tried to rape me. Potiphar comes home and throws him into the deepest dungeon. He did nothing to deserve that experience. Now... If you're going through a Joseph time in life, probably not that severe. But a time where unjust, unfair... Life curveballs come your way into your domestic arena, your physical arena, your spiritual arena, whatever level of life. You're getting things happening to you that you do not understand. You're trying to be righteous. You're trying to serve God. You have a great dream. You have a great vision. You're going for the Lord. And then all these things start crowding in. People get jealous. People criticize. The boss gets mad at this. The foreman fires you. And it's not really anything you did. But it's because he's jealous you're going to get a promotion. And these things start happening to you, you have a chance to pack your bag with life's experience and say, that's right. So much for my brothers. They rejected me. Bless God, I reject them. I could care less about my family. And if I ever return to that place, I will do something to have vengeance on their head. He could have started packing his bag with rejection and bitterness and vengeance. Start planning what he would do with life. Then he gets down to Potiphar's house. He gets rejected again and lied about. He could start thinking God is no good. People are no good. Authority is no good. You can't trust anybody. He could pack his bag. Because the life experiences would give him a right to pack his bag with unforgiveness, rejection, mistrust, being taken advantage of. Unfair! He could cry out every one of those words. But somewhere along the line, he didn't allow life experiences to pack his bag. Somewhere along the line... He simply said, God is faithful. God will see me through, I don't know how, for 14 years. He goes from pit to Potiphar to prison, finally to promotion. But he didn't have any idea where this was going. And he's in prison. The cupbearer interprets the cupbearer's dream. The cupbearer forgets about him. Everybody forgets about Joseph. He could have had an attitude to say, you know what? Nobody is for Joseph. God's not for me. Dad and mom aren't for me. My brothers aren't for me. People in authority aren't for me. Nobody is for me. Everybody turns against me. A little cupbearer. I am tripping the dream for him. He gets out of prison. I said, remember me. He gets out. He forgives me. Everybody forgets Joseph. Then God kind of added everything and said, hey, there's a timing for this because I have to wait for the famine. And finally, Joseph is promoted. He's now a prime minister. The famine hits his brother's land. All the brothers come up to Egypt to buy grain. Joseph is over the granaries. Joseph is the prime minister. Joseph is now the man. And the brothers come in and he sees the brothers. And it says he exits the room and he begins to sob. Oh, can not believe his feelings. Not of hatred. Not of vengeance. He had already packed his bag. Would God is just. God is right. God is merciful. God has promoted me when man couldn't do it. God saw me through. It wasn't my brother's fault. Now I see the whole thing. And so he just emptied his bags of all the rejection and brought in all the faith. Emptying his bags of all the blame shifting and brought it right back to God knows exactly where I'm at. And he'll see me through. Finally, the whole story plays out when he reveals himself to the brothers and he says to the Egyptian servants, go out. Of course, he speaks Egyptian now. But then he speaks to them in the Hebrew tongue. He says, you, come close to me. They said, How does he know our tongue? He's been speaking through an interpreter the whole time. He says, come, come close. Now they're really heart pumping. Oh, no. Who is this guy? His hair is different. His jewelry is different. His dress is different. His voice is different. There's something mysterious about this. And as they got closer to him, Joseph says, do you not know who I am? They look, but they can't believe. Oh, my God. Oh, my Jehovah. Oh, my Yahweh. Whatever they said. <laughs> Joseph said it's me. You threw me in the pit 13 years ago. Do you remember me? And then fear hit them. Oh, we are dead. He's going to have 11 holes in the backyard and drop us all into a pit. <laughs> Who knows what he might do to us? And that's what they were thinking. But see, Joseph had... Packed his bag with grace. And so the grace that now was coming out. Had already been packed in life's experiences. Did not make him bitter. Hard. Blame shift. He just wept with him and says, hey. Is dad still alive? I said, yeah. He is. What about Benjamin, the younger brother he's never seen? Yes, the Dad's alive and he's heartbroken over you. We're so sorry, Joseph. Dad's never been the same. He's so heartbroken. Can you get him and bring him up to me? I mean, these guys are weeping. This is, this is one of the greatest stories ever told. I can't wait to get to heaven and ask God for that videotape and plug it in and watch the whole thing. I believe I'll be able to do that. Now, life experiences. Has there been life experiences that packed your bag with pity? Poor me. Nobody loves me. Nobody watches over me. Nobody cares for me. I've been abused since I was a kid. I've been rejected. I've been taken advantage of. There's so many things about life that I hate. I don't trust people. I don't trust authority. Question authority. Why? Because people are questionable. They might do anything. What about God? I don't know. God, I think, likes me or loves me. Maybe I I know the Bible. But I don't know. God doesn't seem to put everything in order. And so you have your bag packed with all the things that will ruin your life. Every piece of baggage in you that is anything of what I'm talking about, will absolutely destroy your life. So the devil says, lock it up. Keep it. You deserve it. Go ahead. Finger through it again. Open the trunk. Hey, throw it in the handbag and take it to work with you. Hey, throw it in the duffel bag and head over to Eastern Oregon. Maybe it'll stay there and you'll come back. You've got to take the baggage. And let the Spirit of the Lord press into that area. Unlock the trunk. Take out all the garbage. Lock it up again and don't let anything in except the grace of God. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, who packed your bag? Second. Type of who packed your bag person or uh, circumstance or here in this case, it's the enemy of your soul. The enemy of your soul can pack your bag. If you let it. Job had nothing to do with the devil's deal with God. Hey, let's take Job on. Come on, God, let us let us ruin the man. Let us kill all of his kids and take his camels and his donkeys and his sheep. And his wealth and let us touch his body and put boils all over him. I'll tell you what, this man will curse you. He will leave you. He only serves you because of the things he has. God says, go ahead, but you can't take his life. And I guarantee you, he won't turn. Job had nothing to do with the deal. He was a, a, a recipient of a supernatural deal made about his life. A trial. A test. How many of you have been the recipient of a supernatural deal that you didn't make? <laughs> yeah, it happens. Job, sitting on a pile of ashes with a piece of pottery that he had broken off to scrape his boils. In comes his wife, fresh from a focus on the family seminar on how to build up your husband. She comes in and says, you idiot. What is your problem, Job? He's scraping his boils. Kids are dead. Donkeys are gone. Sheep are gone. Everything has gone. The houses are falling apart. His whole life, his health. She says, what is your problem? says, so, what do you mean? Why don't you just give it up? God is obviously not for you. Do you understand that, Job? We've lost everything. Now look at your body sitting there scraping your boils. God's not for you. Why don't you just curse God and die? Let it go. Job had enough sense. Say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Naked I came out. Naked I shall return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm not going to do this. And So the whole book is a struggle of that conversation. and How and why did this happen? Job ends up having restoration, restitution, double. God gave back. I mean, it's a wonderful story, but it's a true dealing of God in a person's life that was a recipient of a supernatural test that he didn't know about. Now, you can curse God when things happen. You can blame God. You can get mad at God when tests come. And they can pack your bag with, A griper spirit. They can pack your bag with a murmuring, disloyal spirit. Or you can simply open your heart and say, I don't understand. You know, you're a righteous person. You've always been a righteous person. And your body's been hit with all kinds of physical problems. And people want to say to you, well, you got prayed for. What? Don't you have faith? Well, I I think I do. I used to. I think I still do. Well, why is God doing this to you? Were you so prideful that God had to break something in you? I guess, maybe. But I think the pride was maybe 15 years ago. I think that left. Well, what is he dealing with now? I don't know. Well, do you deserve this? You're such a great person. Why is this happening to you? I don't know. Now, that's a great time for the enemy to come right in and stuff your bag with a mistrust of God. A murmuring. Looking back and saying, you're right, I don't deserve this. I fasted, I prayed, I rebuked the devil. And I'm still having this test. I'm still having this problem. There comes a time when you have to pack your bag with trust. There's a verse in Isaiah that says, trust God in the darkness. It says in that verse, even if you get a spark. It will give you revelation of what you're doing. Just a spark will open your eyes to what God is doing. You don't even need a full spotlight. Just a spark would give you an idea. But sometimes you have to trust God in the dark. Third, who packed your bag could be packed by your own reactions and your own unresolved issues. Your responses, reactions, reactions. Wrong reactions, wrong decisions to respond this way. The things you keep that you know you should have let go of, the things you're building on you know are wrong, the flaws that are there, you can pack your own bag by doing that right there. Now, there's enough life experiences and tests and attacks, straight on onslaught of the enemy to try to pack your bag. Why would you want to pack it yourself? By not forgiving and by not responding, by not trusting, by not You start packing your bag yourself. All right. Any one of these, whether it's life, the enemy of your soul, or just your own carnal response, your own weakness in your flesh. You just kind of moved over to the wrong side for a while and let the enemy get the best of your soul through your own reactions. I want you to take down this last line. And this is where we'll start in the next message. How do you take care of the baggage? Take down this one line. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, wherever the anointing is, there is hope for your healing of soul, healing of heart, unpacking your baggage, taking away the bitterness, giving back the grace. There's hope. The Spirit of the Lord and the anointing are present and available to deal with your baggage. Now, you can put more locks on the trunk. You can go hide the handbag or you can simply open your life to the spirit of the Lord and say, Lord, I believe what you said in Nazareth, even though I'm a Nazareth person. Church people are Nazareth people. Familiar without faith. Faith. Always for someone else, never for me. Always later on, never now. The Nazareth hometown attitude. Instead of saying, this is my year. This is my time. This is when God is going to move in me. I believe the Spirit of the Lord is here. It is available. The Spirit of the Lord will move in my life. I will empty all of my baggage. And my life will be packed with the grace of God, the faith of God, the Holy Spirit, and a great future. Because that's what the Bible says. You can have one or the other. I suggest strongly that you unpack your bags and don't let anyone else pack them for you. All right. How many of you would say with me, Pastor Frank? I'm getting the message. Are you getting the message? I'm getting the message now. Not to discourage you, but to build hope and faith in your heart. There's not a soul listening to me on either campus or iPod or tape or CD or DVD or whatever you might do to find this message. There's not anybody that will listen to this that would say, I am totally free of all baggage. You might be right now, and maybe there's some more stuff coming where they'll try to stuff your bag. You need to make Luke 4, 18 and 19, your Meditation. And you need to say the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The spirit of the Lord is the Lord's anointed, is upon me. Stand to your feet.